podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. When it rains, it absolutely tips it down. Yes, hello, welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast, as the Rams find another new low, quite literally, in this miserable start to what will be a long, long winter. In a week which saw high-profile figures cling on to their four-year jobs, despite key results going against them again and again, uh, the writing could also be on the wall for Philip Koku and his staff as Derby County now sits rock bottom of the championship after 11 games. The face and wealth of our club could change beyond recognition in the next week or so and you get the feeling this international break could be an historic moment one way or another in our club's fortunes. Uh, joining me, Chris Parsons, to check Derby County season for any signs of life are two SBW regulars. He's making podcasts great again. It's Tom Martin. You are right. Uh, very well, thanks, Chris. You? I am uh, getting by, getting by, and he's hitting the lockdown quarantinis extra hard this time round. It's Richard Kutcher. Morning. Morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. Uh, Chris, even. Sorry. <laughs> and strong start. And making a long overdue Steve Bloomer's washing debut is the Athletics' Ryan Conway. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Have I never been on here? Not, n- not that I remember. I mean, <laughs> oh, unbelievable! Oh, hello, everybody. <laughs> it's taken this long. Here you are. It's great to have you with us. Don't forget, before we dive straight in, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. Uh, Ryan, I'll start with you. Great to have you with us. We'll get on to the really cheery stuff in just a second. But uh, how are you coping so far with with lockdown two? Any any particular lockdown cliches that you've uh, you've committed so far? No, no, really. Um, I think, you know, I kind of during the like initial lockdown in, in March, um, I sort of picked up playing the ukulele, tried to learn some French, sort of was getting back into reading a, a little bit more, particularly more fiction. Um, I just think it's, it's really important for everybody, um, to just try and find something to, to do, try and find something to, to fill your time. You know, if you're cooped up, then you, you know, you really need some time fillers right now and, and, you know, speak to your loved ones and, and stuff like that. So if you're struggling, you know, you're not the only one and, and there's always light there. So keep going and, and keep fighting. Amen to that. I'm a, I've got a couple of pretty ropey looking bananas in my fruit bowl. So I'm going to be that guy who makes some banana bread. Uh, I'm doing that. <laughs> and um, I think the biggest cliche I've done is that we started doing the old online pub quiz and we just haven't stopped with the in-laws. We just carried on for like about five months now. <laughs> it's just, Jesus, we are, we are those people as well. Good, Chris. What about you, yeah, Coach? I, I got out, I got out of the cuisine in about June. Uh, I was the one that was pushing it originally. And uh, I, I am not entertaining a return to Zoom cuisine. I, that's, that's last on my list. That's, that's a Boxing Day special, I think. That's when it's going to come back. Uh, yeah, sent- similar sentiments to Ryan. Um, lockdown hasn't changed too much for me. Being a teacher, I'm still in, in school. The only difference is I can't go down the pub afterwards. But um, I did like this handy email greeting I got from a, uh, from a colleague the other day. He said, I hope you're staying positive and testing negative instead of I hope this email finds you well, which I quite liked. Well, uh, 
speaking of trying to stay positive, the, the two of us recently claimed in uh, in the verdict our our post match five minute video we started doing this season, perhaps a little naively in retrospect, that Derby were starting to slowly turn a corner after those draws against Forest. Carniff and Bournemouth, but any suggestion of upwards momentum has been completely wiped out with those two wretched home defeats, both without scoring to QPR and Barnsley. Um, whichever way you look at it, gents, the facts are bleak. Five goals in 11 games, uh, seven defeats, and we've now been leapfrogged in the table by one team who were on minus six and another team who finished last season eighth in League One. Tom, what was your gut feeling after the uh, after the end of the Barnsley game? Um, it, it was just really, really desperate. Um, I, mean, I think we forget sometimes that football isn't like a, a sort of a growth thing, is it? It goes in it goes in waves, and at the moment uh, we had a little wave, and then we just come crashing down off the end of that cliff. It feels like if we're not at rock bottom at the moment, then I, I would really hate to feel what rock bottom fit. Um, what it actually feels like. Um, I think Cocker is really on borrowed time. Uh, I really hope he doesn't go. And I know we've said that before. We we want to have a bit of stability in the club. Um, but with obviously all the uncertainty over ownership and stuff, I, I think it's it's unlikely he'll be here at Christmas. Um, but I just I just really want it to work for him. And at the moment, it's it's just obviously not working. And and Wednesday was bad, but I think Saturday was ten times worse. And how it could get ten times worse from Saturday? I, I, sorry, from Wednesday. I, I don't know. So really desperate at the moment. Yeah, I think uh, to, to take to take on your your presidential analogy, Chris, it was a, it was a bit like a, it was the false storm, which was uh, which was Trump's uh, Pennsylvania or Midwest false storm. You know, we, we thought we turned the corner, we thought we were bringing it back, and to be honest, it, it it's just got worse. And I said before these two games that uh, Koku needed to get at least four points from from these two home matches against very winnable opposition or, or very beatable opposition, sorry, and and he's lost both of them. So for me, it's it's time to go. Uh, I, 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 have, I have shared uh, Tom's sentiments uh, for the last few months. I wanted to give Koku a chance. I'm a huge fan of him. I'm absolutely gutted it's not worked out. I think I think he'll prove himself to be a good manager somewhere else. Well, he's already proved himself to be a good manager somewhere else in the past, and I think he is a good manager. But it's not it's not working. And uh, the, the, the yesterday was was particularly bad. And you can't be losing two 0 at home at Barnsley when you're already almost bottom of the league, and, and you're now bottom of the league. It's just it's just not good enough. I mean, Ryan, the question. I wanted to ask you was where just where do Derby go from here? I mean, are we we all know there are it's, it's a terrible situation at the moment with Koku actually having to self isolate uh, after Stephen Pearce tested positive, along with um, Mel Morris having to isolate as well. I mean, are we looking at Koku being possibly sacked on a Zoom call because he's self isolating? I mean, our club is going to have to undergo huge change in the next few days and weeks. You spoke to Koku yourself in in person after the QPR game um and then he wasn't in the dugout against Barnsley but in your opinion how likely is it do you think that Koku will still be at the club if and when the new owners arrive in the next few weeks it's very difficult to say um mainly because you know we don't know how that uh, how that changing of, of hands will happen it also should be said that uh, any payoff will count towards FFP um because it you know counts as a loss on your books, um, so I I honestly I honestly don't know. Things are, are so bad at the minute that it wouldn't surprise me if he is sacked. Um, it also wouldn't surprise me if he was kept on, basically just just as a, a sort of standing. You know, while the while the while the takeover happens, um, you you could 
sack him and, and maybe put someone like Darren Wassall or Justin Walker in charge, Wayne Rooney, heaven forbid, you know, some something like that. Um, but the the new owners, if and when that takeover happens, are going to want their own guy. So yeah, it feels like it, it just feels like the club as a whole is in limbo at the minute because there is such a a shift going on at, at the club and and the management and the coaching staff are part of that. The obvious question is. Where is it going wrong? Uh, why has this season started so, so badly? I mean, for me, I watched Liam Rossini's quite emotional post-match interview yesterday and you could see that it did hurt him. He said that it hurt him and he said that it wasn't through lack of trying. And in that sense, I, I, I do believe him. I think the players are still just about playing for Kaku. The effort is there, but... You look at the, the the pattern of play at the moment. In the final third, we're just not decisive enough. We're often just so confused in terms of uh, creating chances, finishing off chances. At times, our game management is at best naive and at worst, it's non-existent, I think. Our shape and our, our formation regularly becomes just really sloppy, I think, when we're either desperately hanging on to a lead, as we have done recently, or chasing games, as we have done recently. But fundamentally, I think what it comes down to is that some of the basics are just not being done well enough. I think too many crosses are being telegraphed or are just not penetrative enough. I mean, one of the, one of the main reasons Wayne Rooney is in this team is for his set pieces. Against Barnsley, they just simply weren't good enough. I mean, they're often too close to the keeper. They didn't give players something to attack or, or he fails to beat the first man. I know that coaches can't legislate for what players do once they're on the pitch. But part of this must be a pretty monumental failure from the management, Ryan. What's your take on it? Yeah, I think in answer to the question, what what is going wrong? The answer is everything. That This team are bottom of the championship. I'll say it again. They are bottom. You don't get bottom of the championship by just one thing going wrong. Everything is going wrong. You know, metrics wise, they are dead last in XG. They are dead last in shot conversion rate. They are dead last in goals scored. They are dead last in goals from open play. Everything is is going wrong. Tactically, it, it was a horror show, in my opinion, the last the last two games, in in my opinion. To go to a 4-2-3-1 against QPR when the 3-4-3 had been had been working, they'd showed some zip and some rhythm in that system. To change that on on a whim to me was was completely erratic. Liam Rossini after in in the post match interview said that it was his decision at half time to go back to that to that system against Barnsley um mainly because they wanted to try and fit Camu Yozviak in there along with Lawrence Waghorn and, and and Rooney um but you saw it again they just lost all their rhythm and all their shape and all their identity um it's a problem. The team doesn't have a defined identity. It speaks volumes that a team sheet, you know, can be released and you're looking at it and thinking that could be three different shapes. Like at 16 months in, and there's, and I said it on Twitter at the time, there's being flexible and then there's just general confusion that you don't know what you're, you know, got to win a game, have to win a game. What is our shape? And you don't know it. And that is a concern. Yeah, no, I agree completely with Ryan there. And Ryan mentioned the word identity a few times, and, and he's right. There is an identity to this team. And, and one of the criticisms levelled at Koku prior to prior to this season and after the first few games of this season was that he was too rigid in how he wanted to play and how he, he wanted to play a certain way and maybe it didn't suit the championship. Well, he went away from that. He did what fans asked for, which was to go to a, a more pragmatic style. That began with the Norwich game with five at the back. And, it, and that, that formation is slowly 
you know, evolved into more of a three four three. And as Ryan said, it had started to, to bear some fruit. And I think I said in the podcast, I could see actually how that formation could be taken forward with the returning players. But he now seems to, he obviously doesn't want, he doesn't see that formation as a future. And that's obviously up to him and that's fine. But he, he now seems to be stuck in this kind of formation purgatory where he doesn't know which one he's going to choose. And he, it's so obvious that he hasn't, he just doesn't know what he wants to play anymore. And it is purely an identity crisis. He's stuck between wanting to play his kind of uh, cocky ball or total football or whatever you want to call it, which has been has 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 had limited success in the championship and being more pragmatic which of course can be successful in the championship but it's not something he's wedded to and now he hasn't got a clue and i think he's now scratching around as, as ryan said trying to find a formation to win the next game and and he, and he doesn't know what it is and that's for me why it's probably time to to call it a day on this project because once the manager doesn't know what he wants to do then you've got no chance yeah tom you want to give the benefit of the doubt to Koku as much as you can. And I know you said on the verdicts that you thought that possibly Koku does still have time. But when you consider the fact that you combine the results and the fact that he appears to be making needless changes, whether that's formation in going from 3-4-3 to four at the back, when the previous system appeared to be, uh, appeared to be gaining momentum, and also these odd individual selections like uh, benching Yuzviak, when he's clearly one of our most creative players, the results are going against him and he's making odd decisions. It's, it's getting harder and harder to make a case for Cock at the moment, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I do agree with that, Chris. And I think the, the benching of Yuzviak on, on Saturday was, 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 it just popped the bubble of the excitement of Bielik coming back. I tweeted after the QPR game to say, like, the Derby team for Saturday should be Marshall, Yuzviak, Marshall, Yuzviak, maybe Byrne, maybe Knight, but basically Yuzviak was our only decent player. Uh, alongside Marshall. And so this, to see Yuzviak on the bench, um, really, really mystifying decision. And to, to know that Koku, despite not being there, he was the one in charge of selecting the team. There's clearly mistakes and errors that are being made and they're, they're errors that sort of everyone can see and everyone's sort of pointing out. Uh, and I think it does come from that that lack of certainty. And the, and as Ryan said, uh, you, you can put a team a team sheet out there and I'm like, I don't know how they could play. Um, and I think that is that is the, the buck stops with Koku. At the same time, I just think about like how much turmoil we've been in, and uh, we've got to we've got to take this this rough patch, and it's it's bad at the moment. But we've been bottom of the championship. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure, if we weren't bottom of the championship, we were very close in 1995, and we ended up getting promoted. And we we're certainly later on into the season. I think it was November before we really started pulling away. Um, so what I'm saying is that. Just, I think a little bit more faith just needs to be kept at this time because we've had so many different managers. There's always a change um, in managers over each year for us at the moment, um, whether that's our fault because we sack them or whether it's because they've been taken by another another team. That's a different matter. Um, so I'd just like to see a little bit of patience and especially, as Ryan points out, any sacking, four-year contract Koku's on, he's, a, he's what, 15 months into it. It's going to be a pretty big payout for him and his backroom staff. So if that counts towards FFP, we're clearly not in a good good position with that so on the financial side I can I can also see the argument for keeping him as well but it's it's got to get better very very quickly and that is immediately after the international break if he has got any chance to survive so he's on he's on very very thin ice for me but he's still there. Ryan you were uh, you have you know great access to the club and you see Koku up close you you get to to read him and his emotions and his demeanour we all know he's a man who doesn't give that much away in public um but after the QPR game how did you sort of read his uh you know his take on that game and how do you how are you sensing the mood from 
the management at the moment. I found it interesting that you did mention yesterday that that Rosinia was the one who was put out to do the press, and there didn't really seem to be any sign of uh, Twan Sheepers or, or Van der Verden. Um, is it, can anything be read into into that, or into the the general demeanour and mood of Koku at the moment at all? Uh, yeah, so I'll answer those chronologically. Uh, the QPR game, um, yeah, there were no good vibes in that room after the QPR game. And in a bubble, a 1-0 home defeat to QPR is is bad. But, you know, usually after defeats, like particularly, you know, sort of last season when it was a sort of bedding in period for, for quite a lot of it, you could garner positives and take some positives out of it. And, you know, Philip was generally okay but after the QPR game, there, there were no real good vibes in in that room. You know, he he left the the press room pretty despondent. You know, head down immediately. So I went to his pocket, grabbed his phone, and just wandered out with his with his head down. It was it was it was pretty grim. It was uncomfortable a, a little bit. Had a, a little bit of sympathy for him, just from a pure human perspective. That you know, no one likes to sort of watch failure happening. You know, right in front of your eyes. Um, you know, no one roots for anyone to fail. So on a human level, that was sort of like, man, that kind of sucks. Yeah, Twan, Twan Sheepers was in constant contact with with Koku yesterday, which is why he wasn't sort of barking orders on the touchline because he was speaking to Philip. He had his headphones in, um, and he was relaying instructions and, and messages. Um, for me, the the more interesting thing was that Chris Van der Veerden, who is Philip's assistant manager, and that title sort of suggests that when the manager can't do things for whatever reason, he takes over. Um, didn't see him on the touchline at all yesterday. You know, in the dugout, I think he was sort of had his folder, a tablet, or whatever it was, and was sort of looking through, you know, bits and bobs of, and, and images and those sorts of things. But I didn't didn't really see anything to suggest, you know, that he was sort of motivating the team at all. And when you are, and again, bottom of the division, you need a motivator. Liam Rossini was trying his hardest to to do that, but the team just had. It's just shot of confidence, you know. Heads were down, and I just don't. I don't think it was the the attitude and the the want was was bad. I just think it was they're so fragile, they're so so fragile, and and you you know, people in all walks of life will have that any little setback, and they just retreat into their shell because of their their feared of of failure, and failure looks like it's staring them in the in the face, you know, again, and you just retreat. And I think that's what happened when the first goal goes in, even though there was no crowd. The, the atmosphere was just sucked out of, out of Pride Park and it was, yeah, it was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable to watch yesterday. It got to about an hour and you just thought like, there's half an hour left and they already feel desperate. And it was, yeah, it, it was just very uncomfortable. So yeah, we did, uh, I did put out a, a slightly badly worded poll actually before the Barnsley game, just asking if Derby fans think that we are currently in a false position, as in uh, it's 10 games into the season do we deserve to be where we are? And it's quite close. 53% of the people who responded said, uh, yes, we are in a false position. Derby will come good. And 47% said, no, we are where we deserve to be. We are bang in trouble. But that was before the Barnsley game. I imagine the opinion would have <laughs> dramatically shifted uh, since I did that poll. I mean, we are in an absolute dogfight now. I think it's fair to admit, Army Kutch. I mean, and the part of it is, Ryan has touched on it there, that aren't any leaders or people showing leadership qualities in this team. Rooney isn't the sort of player, it seems, to to you know to, to gesture, to, to 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 get players going, to to bark orders, to to do that sort of thing. Although we did see him doing that a little bit 
in his first few games for the club way back at the start of the year. I mean, I wasn't really seeing that much from people like Davis either. The sort of experienced pros, the you know the the, the calm heads, the senior players who you expect to try and uh, to try and dig in and and get us out of this. It just seems to me, Kutch, I look at this squad and and the management to to see who is going to be the person to to raise spirits to get us going, and I'm not sure who that person is. Yeah, I think you're right, Chris. I don't think there is uh, there is much leadership on show at the moment. It is hard, and it is hard when we're not when we're not in the ground. And you do see more when you're in the ground. You see body language more closely. You can see things happening which the cameras aren't focusing on at that time. So it's hard to read too much into it while we can't see the kind of the whole picture. And Ryan might have more to share on that. But yeah, there isn't any leaders, and you would expect you would expect that with the kind of spine of Marshall, Day- Curtis Davis. Rooney, you know, Martin Waghorn. There, there is a there is a degree of an experienced spine there uh, that should that should be able to kind of show that on the field leadership, and, and they might be showing it. As I said, we, we might just not be seeing it. Um, but yeah, there is there does appear to be a chronic lack of leadership. Uh, I, I thought I think the effort has been there. I, I can't. I saw loads of tweets yesterday saying the, the players should be ashamed of themselves for not putting effort in. They, they obviously don't care. I, I think that's completely wrong. I think that since the Blackburn game, they have shown a lot of effort and desire uh, in every match. As Tom said, I, I agree. I think the players are still playing for Koku. I, I don't think they know what system they're playing, which is a different problem. But in terms of energy and desire and effort, I think that's all there. I don't think they've lost that. So there is there is there does appear to be a lack of leadership. Uh, I don't know. You know, Ryan might better say if they, if they sound like a loud team or a quiet team because he's he's in the ground, but. Uh, it, does, it doesn't look like they're, they are a loud, uh, boisterous team. Let's put, let's put it that way. Well, this is what it can often come down to. I know it's, it's not always as simple as this. And we have said that everything is going wrong for everyone at the same time. But often in this situation, you do have to just try and ask yourself, who is more responsible for the situation we're in? Is it the management staff or is it the players once they go out not executing their instructions? Uh, so we just asked that question on our Instagram and Facebook pages. I had a number of responses. Uh, Ben Wright said, both are to blame, but players can get away with it, especially without fans being there. Uh, Something has to change. And we all know in these situations, it's usually the manager who pays the price. Uh, Rob Blissett said on our Instagram, I think you've got a question of management. We don't even look like scoring goals. As much as I think he's a reasonable bloke, the amount of chances we've created this season is unacceptable. And for me, Koku has to go. Uh, over on our Facebook page, uh, Stephen Crofts said the manager and his coaching staff are ultimately to blame. Uh, Nick Cook said the buck stops with the manager. The players are following his instructions. They haven't become bad players overnight. Paul Brooks said give him time. He might figure out in a couple of years that we're supposed to have a striker in the team. Uh, Alex Taylor said the chairman is to blame, which is an interesting take. And uh, James Verve said, at the moment as a fan, I'm just feeling sorry for myself and believe that we're one massively cursed club. Um, It's not an easy one to answer, Tom, but is there one person or group who you think are more responsible for the situation we're currently in? Which, let's put it bluntly again, is the worst situation possibly in a generation since uh, almost the 07-8 team right now. Yeah, I think you're you're right with that. I think we are in one of the worst situations. It feels particularly dark to be a Derby fan. Uh, now and it has been dark in the past but it does feel very much so if you're going to blame one person or one thing um, ultimately it's going to be Koku and I I do think that Koku has a lot of responsibility for what's going on but at the same time David Marshall's been our best player 
or certainly one of our best players this season. You can't legislate for him making a mistake like he did yesterday, which, as Ryan said, it just sucked the atmosphere. And you could see the team just went, it's happening again, isn't it? Like, we, we've we've really balls this up. Because I thought Derby were in relative control without really creating too much. But there was it was more like if we scored first, I had the feeling that we could go on and win. But as soon as you make a mistake like that, it just it just uh, it just deflates the team, and that's been happening throughout the season. So there, there's certainly responsibility from the players, but I do think if you're going to blame one person, it is Koku, which again I guess goes against what I just said a minute ago about keeping faith with Koku. But I think you still got to give him the chance, but it's got to change very quickly. Ryan, I mean, I mean for you, what what's changed to make us so easy to play against and just so toothless going forward? You look back across last season and. By and large, I think once once Cocker had, had settled, we'd, we'd seen him use a sort of back five occasionally, um, and, and we switched to a diamond once or twice in November. But by and large, you kind of knew it was going to be four two three one, um, and and that was that was that. And I think across the first six games this season, across the first five games this season in all competitions, they use three different systems. That's not going to work. You know, because assignments change, roles change, and in that you create player confusion. And and when <laughs> that's kind of when you get the deer in the headlights thing, where you think, do I cross? Do I pass? And you just, I, I don't know anymore. Um, so it just feels like there's there's a lot of confusion um, going on at, at you know at the club at the moment due to um, the system. And ultimately, the you know Koku picks the the team and and the system. Um, so I think that is that is part of it. And again, confidence as well. They're just not confident. You know, when they were going on a, you know, reeling teams in and getting within a point of six, they were a confident group. You know, they were probably the one team in the championship that you didn't want to play because suddenly they, they'd hit this rich veinous form. You know, confidence is a very, a very fragile thing. It takes a long time to build up, but it can be broken in an instant. Um, and and the team just looks completely shot of, of any sort of belief right now. You know they they need the first goal to not only win games but almost to survive them. Kutch, I we've made this argument so many times, and it's been like the default defense of this squad uh, has been that we've got players to come back, we've got big names to come back into this starting eleven, and I genuinely thought that we would be a better proposition when we had. Tom Lawrence back in the team, Martin Waghorn back in the team. I get that those players may still be coming back to speed a little bit. Bielik got his first start for a very long time as well. But in terms of performances from QPR and Barnsley, we haven't really improved, have we? Um, even though we're getting very close to what is our best team now out there on paper. I mean, why do you think that is? This, this we've got players to come back excuse is just getting weaker and weaker with every game that we fail to win, isn't it? Yeah, that, that excuse no longer exists, in my opinion. That that excuse went, to be honest, once once Lawrence and Waghorn were back up to speed and, and Josvek was starting, uh, that excuse... You know, who, who are you waiting for now? You're waiting for Jordan Knight. That's it. That is literally it. Bielik's played one game, but he doesn't play in a position I don't think that's going to make a huge difference to this team. I think he will be a benefit, and I think we will see that in the, in the weeks to come. But when, when Lawrence and Wagcom, which I think were the key ones, came back into the team, there was an uplift. There was definitely an improvement uh, in quality, um, in in you know chances created in the final third, although we're not we're still not converting them. 
but it, it's gone backwards again, as I said. There, there was progress. I was quite happy to see the progress made through Norwich, through Watford, through Bournemouth, through Huddersfield, through Forest. Like we should have beaten Nottingham Forest. That would have been a huge. That would have been a huge moment if that due to that goal had, had stood. I think that would have that could have made a big impact. That, that could have changed how we currently sit now in terms of what happened next. Um, but it's gone backwards again, and he's now lost that momentum and any momentum gained from those players coming back. So yeah, it's no, that's not an excuse. I think Lawrence had a really good impact when he first came back. I thought he looked really sharp. He looks good, but then on yesterday, on Saturday, it, Lawrence looked frustrated. He looked like he dropped down the level to the level that some other players are playing at, particularly as he had, as he missed those two really good chances in the first half. So yeah, that that excuse is gone, and I I, I just don't know how Cockney claws it back at this point. More in a second on Steve Bloomer's washing. Uh, we will be talking about the small matter of Derby's impending takeover from a member of the Abu Dhabi royal family. And we've got uh, your shout on the Rams new owners. But uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's washing. With England once again in a second national lockdown, our independent pubs and bars need you more than ever once again. Our friends over at Derby Brewing Company have closed three of their four pubs, but are keeping open the hole in the wall in Mickleover as an off-license offering pre-ordered takeout beers. You can order draft ales, kegs, craft package beers, wines, as well as snacks from the Hole in the Wall Facebook page, Derby Brewing app, or by emailing holeinthewall at derbybrewing.co.uk with collection from the door. So get your order in now. So unless you've been living under a rock for the past fortnight, you've probably heard that the Rams are set for a truly astonishing ownership takeover in the next few days or weeks. Uh, it's no secret, of course, that Mel Morris has been looking for investment into Derby County for a long time, having put a significant amount of his own personal fortune into the club since 2015. But Derby's prospective new owners led by the Abu Dhabi royal family, will uh, transform the club's finances and turn us technically into one of the wealthiest clubs in the country overnight. I mean, there's so much to say on this. We could probably have dedicated an entire episode to this topic. Uh, but Ryan, the Athletic were there early doors uh, with, with the news, with one of the first mentions of this deal. You reported it in October. Um, can you just sort of explain it more in layman's terms and outline some of the numbers involved with Sheikh Khalid Bin Zayed Al Nahayan and his uh, Dubai-based conglomerate. And uh, do you know who sort of approached who to make this happen? Like how it came about? I think in in takeovers, um, typically what happens is someone comes to to the club um, with a proposal. It's very weird if you do it the other way around because then it sort of gets out that you are actively trying to flog the club, and that really damages the value of the club. So yeah, it, it would have been in in most cases. Uh, I suspect that. In this case, we think it's, it's Chris Samuelson and Andrew Oblensky that have brokered the deal, and they'll have made they'll have made an approach. I mean, like, look, we've got someone interested in buying your football club, um, at X price, you know, and that's how sort of negotiations happen. Obviously, this has been in the in the works since May, um, as Derby County's statement 
uh, read. Um, you know, when they when they had released a, a statement saying that they've been granted EFL approval uh, for the takeover to go ahead. You know, it now just seems like it's a it's a matter a matter of time before that uh, before that changing of of hands happens. I, it's been reported that the, the takeover is in the region of sixty million pounds. Um, now, what that doesn't include is the stadium, because obviously that is a separate asset. Um, it's unclear yet as to what happens with Pride Park if that is part of the deal and negotiated separately, or if it's um, you know will be controlled. By Mel, because I know that, that you know that they they have big big plans for for that stadium in terms of making an all purpose um, sort of venue. So it's unclear yet what what happens with that. Um, it's unclear yet what happens with the amortization policy that they that they use, um, and it's unclear yet what happens with things like the the loans that have been that have been taken out. It's it's also unclear. Uh, just it, well, it's clear that that the Abu Dhabi royal family, understandably, have a lot of money. Uh, but Sheikh Khaled's wealth would obviously blow every single owner in the championship out of the water. Uh, but it's actually surprisingly hard to to find a concrete number for how much uh, net worth that the Bin Zayed group have. But we're certainly looking in the um, in the tens of billions, it would seem. Um, although it's unclear how much of that he would be willing to put into Derby County, how much he'd be allowed to put into Derby County. But compared to the rest of the uh, the richest owners in the championship is certainly be streets ahead. I mean, the, the, the other wealthiest owners include uh, the Coates family at Stoke City, who were worth around uh, £7 billion. Uh, Steve Lansdowne at Bristol City, who's said to be worth around £1.35 billion. And uh, Trevor Hemmings, who's worth a reported £1.03 billion at Preston. Uh, it's reported also, Kutch, that these uh, this group... Uh, this conglomerate are no strangers to takeover attempts within English football. Uh, they were linked with a two billion pound takeover bid for Liverpool, and also got pretty close to a, a three hundred and fifty million pound takeover of uh, of Newcastle. Did they not? Yeah, that's right, Chris. But to be honest, with Newcastle, you know, who hasn't been linked to a takeover bid to Newcastle is, is I think, the better question on, uh, there. I mean, the Newcastle one. I was just reading up on this last night, actually, for the Newcastle Chronicle. Uh, they did a piece uh, just the other day, you know, looking back again at what, why that deal didn't go through. And as ever, uh, with this take, with failed takeover bids, there's lots of finger pointing them from both sides. Uh, Mike Ashley uh, seems to be spouting some nonsense about, oh, you know, the money changed, and you know, who cares when you're worth that much money, fifty, a hundred billion, whatever, you know, what what's ten million pounds either way? Well, that's not how business works, Mike Ashley. Surprisingly, you know, just because you've got a lot of money doesn't mean you want to overpay for anything. So if you change the goalposts at the last minute, which is what the the shakes side of this uh, kind of suggest happened then unsurprisingly investors or potential buyers are going to get are going to get um kind of get a bit nervous about about what's happening i think what's really interesting so that that's what kind of how that played out you know the shake side say that mike ashley changed a goalpost at the last minute and mike ashley says well you know who you know why why should that even matter so mike ashley doesn't deny that he did that so that that's why that fell apart in my opinion just because mike ashley is mike ashley um and, and why so many other people have failed to, to buy newcastle so i wouldn't read too much into that i think what is more interesting about the newcastle takeover from the from that newcastle chronicle piece is that it says there quite clearly that they had made plans about recruitment, about managers, about infrastructure, about what they're going to do as soon as they arrived. So these are people that are planning ahead, as you'd expect and, and you'd hope. So I think what I take from that Newcastle attempt, more than anything, is that when they arrive, I think things will happen quickly. I think the, the point that you and Ryan both make that 
you can't just chuck loads of money at something straight away in the championship in the football league there are obviously ffp you have to go by but in terms of making changes i imagine that things could happen quite quickly when or if you know the takeover actually actually goes through i mean these are completely uncharted unprecedented times for derby county in in its ownership and as we say that the club whichever way you look at it is going to be could well be changed completely beyond recognition once these new owners come in so this is one we put out to you guys on our social for your shout your shout i love that jingle gets better every week uh we asked you guys on twitter how do you feel about it what is your take on derby county potentially and probably being owned by a member of the abu Dhabi? royal family uh plenty of responses lewis hopkins said uh, i hope it's genuinely all it's cracked up to be and i hope it happens very soon we need this more than ever peter robinson said we might be the wealthiest club in league one history uh, luke kitchen said they will inevitably appoint their own manager they will show it will show a lot about their intent with derby and whether or not they have big plans and deep pockets they're going to need it uh, andrew woodman said mel has taken us as far as he can his fortune isn't a bottomless pit, and he'll have seen what happened when Lionel Pickering ended up virtually bankrupt. Uh, he, we must trust he's got assurances on investment, and hopefully the new owner has good people to advise him. Um, Richie said they should be asking for a discount. Uh, Peter Robinson said it can't get any worse. Jack Couchman said we desperately need a change and investment. The stench of relegation and decay hangs heavy. We need something positive to drive us forward. Uh, and Alex Leyland said, it's too soon to say, nobody knows their plans or intentions. I've not seen any quotes from them or much info about them. There's plenty of big money all over the league. It doesn't mean anything these days. Um, this is a point I wanted to take up with you, Tom, uh, in terms of how you think a lot of the fans will feel about this ownership group. Uh, I mean, I had a message from my uh, from my father-in-law who firstly congratulated us on being bottom and then secondly said, Oh, I've seen you've uh, you've sold your soul to the money men, which I don't really take as a point because I mean I think all football owners are money men in a way. It's just that these ones have much more of it. Where where do you stand on on the the possible morality and any possible ethical questions about the takeover? I mean they are are coming from a part of the world the, the UAE, which is uh, known to be less progressive. I guess uh, many countries in the Middle East are. Uh, from a much more hardline conservative culture. Um, but in terms of where they've come from, the products they make or whatever, and uh, and links to oil or, or, you know, human human rights records or whatever, I think products that are everywhere in our lives, whether it's technology products or food or, or corporations or media, so many parts of our lives have links to questionable regimes. I mean, that doesn't make it right, but it is the world we live in. And I don't think... The attitudes of the countries, the country where the, this group are from, will have, will have any bearing on what they'll do with with Derby County. Does it does it bother you? And can, can you give us any more background on this as a topic? Yeah, it, it's kind of an interesting one to look at because, as you say, Chris, all football owners are are money men and they've all got wealth and that's why they've invested in football. But then the question does come: like, where does that money come from? If if you were bought by someone who was a, a known gangster or criminal, for example, or represented something which morally wasn't particularly positive, 
would that be a good thing for business? So let's take this back to nineteen twenties America and say Al Capone invest in your football club or your uh, your sports team. Like, is that necessarily a good good thing for, for for your for your club? Now, the United Arab Emirates, as people know, is is a group of group of states such as Abu Dhabi and Dubai, and it's controlled by an absolute monarchy. In two thousand eight. 18, the Amnesty International group condemned the UAE for their unfair trials, lack of freedom of speech and expression, uh, torture and abuse of migrant workers and discrimination of women, as you say, certainly less progressive. Uh, And there was an interesting article in The Guardian by Leicester City fan, uh, Simon Hatterstone, who talks about the moral feelings towards his former, uh, his club's former owner, the Thai Prime Minister Thaksin Shinawatra, apologies for the pronunciation there, when he took over at Leicester and highlights the concerns that then Man City were facing a few years back because of the concerns that are facing Man City and the, the links and the, of their owners to the UAE as well. There's been a series of cases of people being arrested for peace, peacefully protesting, such as do- dozens of people um, from Bangladesh predominantly who are workers who haven't been paid uh, for any of their work. And also the British academic Matthew Hedges, who was accused of spying and then was given a five minute trial without a lawyer and sentenced to life in jail. So in answer to your question, Chris, morally, it does have a bit of an issue because I've got no problem with Mel Morris being multimillionaire, whatever, however much he owns because of his investments in businesses such as Candy Crush um, or like Peter Coates or any of the others that you mentioned. They come from and they invest their money and they get the money and they act in a moral way. And whether that's a moral way because of the way that the UK looks and the westernized moral way, then fine, we live in a Western society. But some of some of the actions that happen and the events that happen in the UAE are extremely questionable. And I think if we're taking money from that, it tars the name of Derby County. And personally, I do feel a bit questionable about whether we whether we take this money. But at the end of the day, football is a business and we'll take the money and Mel will take the money wherever, um, as long as he thinks it's good for the club. So the main real question that I I've come to sum up is does it matter where the money comes in from in football and does football have a moral responsibility to distance itself from certain areas um, such as in this case human rights violations so it depends on how you feel on those two questions as to what you think but um, I'm more and a little bit more conservative and hesitant about about this proposed takeover yeah it's a, it's a really it's a really complicated one and Tom summed a lot of that up really nicely there and I, I saw that you know Ryan spoke about this a bit and I'm sure Ryan will have some interesting things to say, to say on it as well and for me, it is it is a worry. It is definitely something to think about. Um, when when the when the rumor first came out, I misread it, and I think like a lot of people did because you saw the Newcastle connection. You thought it was the Saudi prince, uh, and for me, that would have been a lot worse. But it is where but where do you draw the line? And, I, and when it came to that Saudi Newcastle uh, almost you know, attempted takeover, I I did think to myself at the time, how would I feel if I if it was if this guy was taking over Derby? Now just to confirm again it's not the same guy very different but in that situation i was thinking okay well i'm not going to stop supporting derby county but would i would i want to give any money to a football club owned by the saudis for example and i think my answer would have been no i would have probably stopped going to home games for example i probably would stop buying the shirt because they don't need my money frankly if that's the case and i wouldn't want to be supporting so directly the saudi regime or particularly the concerns around whitewashing which uh, sports washing sorry which i think are very valid i think this case is different and yeah it, may, it might be very convenient for me to say that i think this case is different it isn't actually uh well it's one it's not the saudis which is is a much worse regime than uae but again who are we to judge i imagine uh and two who um he actually isn't 
an active part of the royal family from what I gather. His money does seem to come from private business. He's more a Dubai-based person than Abu Dhabi. Again, maybe that's not relevant. Um, he, and it is. it seems to be his private wealth. I don't have the same sports-washing concerns, which would be my main concerns if it was that Saudi takeover that I, that I would have with them. So for me, it's not quite as bad, but I definitely I am going to be doing more reading as a result of this, of UAE and its human rights record. I am going to take more of an active interest just to kind of counter any sports watching that goes in. Uh, lots of fans will be tempted to become cheerleaders for the UAE, for example. I think that that's not right. I think actually let's use this as an opportunity to educate ourselves a bit more about a part of the world quite frankly, I don't know much about. So that that's how I view it. I think I generally welcome it, but I will be doing my research. Yeah, I think there's an awful lot to take in. Um, it's, it's, it's a thorny issue. I think let's just firstly talk about as a fan, there is no real right or wrong way to look at this as a fan because there will be fans of this football club that were fans for, you know, 50 years. Um, it is, it's not fair on them that, that they're asked to now pick sort of almost sides as as, as it were. Um, I think ultimately you do have to pick a side, but I think sort of the media, and we saw it with, um, with Man City and Newcastle's proposed takeovers. I think the media sort of, saying, no, pick now, pick now, when it's, you know, it's 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 very difficult. You can't just turn your back on something that may have been part of your life for 50 years. So, And I never think that's fair that fans are put in that position because they didn't pick um, the owner in that case. However, you do have to pick a side. If you, if you can separate the art from the artist is a phrase that I've used a lot. If you can do that, absolutely fine. If you can separate the ownership, the, uh, um, the regime, um, and where that all comes from, and just appreciate the football. If all you care about is the Saturday, the football result, the you know spending the Saturday with your friends and your family or watching it on the telly, and that is all you care about, absolutely fine. If you can't and you feel that morally you have to walk away because of that, that is also absolutely fine. No one, let me just make this very clear, no one should be shamed for the decision that they make. No one. Um, because it is yeah, it, because it is not an easy decision. But let's confront some very, very troubling human rights issues. Um, the death penalty, first and foremost, that is still in effect there. Um, are you saying that, you know, a state, you, can you really look at a state and go, you are willing to show that level of violence to any individual and then expect us to believe and, and live by the very moral code that violence is wrong? I don't really think so. Um, you know, statelessness. They they refuse to grant nationality to individuals born within their borders, effectively sort of depriving them of, of services such as education and healthcare. That is disgusting. Women's rights, the record on women's rights is absolutely gross in, in the in the UAE. That that is not good. Freedom of expression, um, they actively censor people that have the right on social media to um question their regime. That is also absolutely disgusting. Um, so and detention and, and torture as well to just to just throw that in there. These are all deplorable. Let's just be clear. That is disgusting. You know, you you were far too kind when you say, um, you know, oh they're they're much more conservative. No, they're not. It is disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. You can be conservative and then there's torture and and women's rights and gay rights and it's absolutely appalling. That is the true state of the human rights abuses of the UAE. We have to just be very clear on that because there is no way to sugarcoat it. And you have to learn about that because ultimately as a fan, you have to make a decision. It's going to be a, one that you can either go, I'm going to go in this direction or I'm going to go in this direction. And it's fine to have all these mixed feelings 
all these mixed feelings at, at once. It's fine to be excited by new beginnings and new money and stability. And it's fine to have questions about ethics and, and morals and, and human rights abuses. It's fine to have them both. And, but ultimately, fans will make their decision. They'll either keep turning up or they won't. And both are absolutely fine. Well, there's definitely a lot to think about there. Um, not least, I, I just, just a last one before I move on to the quiz. Mel Morris, as you've mentioned there, said that the, the deal had to be right. And he's always talked about a uh, you know a philosophy for the club, the Derby way, community driven, academy driven, and all that sort of thing. It's, it's it's very difficult to say what the intentions of the new ownership group will be. Do you think some of that philosophy could be compromised because we want to just get enough money to keep ourselves out of trouble and build ourselves, uh, you know, make ourselves financially viable for the next few years, Coach? Um. I'm not too worried about that side of this, actually. I think if you look, and look, you can't say it's going to be exactly the same as Man City. Of course you can't. But I, someone with that much money, this isn't a quick turnaround. This isn't, I'm not worried about it. They're coming in and just chucking money at it. And if it doesn't go well, walking away and leaving us in loads of trouble. I, I, don't, I don't really have that concern. I actually do think it will be a, probably a long-term play. And if it's going to be a long-term play, then the end goal in a long-term Football club play is sustainability. They know everyone knows, even Roman Brownovich, even even Sheikh Mansour at Man City, know that you have to be sustainable to make it work. So I actually think that we'll just see more investment in the youth side of things. I think we would. I am also completely guessing, not basing it on almost absolutely no knowledge whatsoever. So I apologise for that. But I, I also imagine that they probably will put money into Derby County in the community, which is very successful and does a lot of great work. So that side of it, I, I'm not I'm not concerned about. I think I think it might be. I think there'll be more money available. I think we might see a more ambitious managerial appointment, for example. We might see some transfer window activity if that's possible under FFP in the short term. Um, but I'm not worried about kind of the culture of the club. I think that will probably stay. I imagine that they'll probably want to keep a lot of the good things that is already in place. And there is a lot of good things already in place at our club. I, I hear what Ryan's saying, and I'm, I'm very pleased that Ryan is very very, very clearly outlined those issues. And, and, and Tom did a great job as well on kind of framing it for us. Um, that all is of massive concern to me. And as I said, I think that's something we need to all kind of read up on a bit more, and particularly in terms of where his money comes from, how he's connected to how he's connected to the, the, the kind of ruling ruling parties and ruling, ruling royal family. Um, but yeah, in terms of the actual involvement in the club, I actually think that they'll probably keep a lot of the good stuff we already have in place. If you look at the reason or the question, why would somebody invest in Derby County? You go, well, we're punching above our weight at the youth youth level. So clearly we're doing something right there. We've got a fantastic stadium. We've got an excellent training ground. Uh, and there's the basis for an extremely good side. We're struggling and we're desperately in need of some investment on the pitch and some changes on the pitch. And therefore, there's an opportunity for someone to come in with the foundations already made and to make us a really, really top Premier League side. The, the foundations are there. Just at the moment, it's not happening. So if we take turn the question around and look at why would they invest, um, you're still talking about what would they change to the club, whoever it might be that comes in. As I say, they'd be stupid to change any of those things that are really positive about the club and they should be targeting the things which are not so positive, uh, such as perhaps at the moment the, the on the field matters and also the management areas. So so I do think, I understand why someone would invest, um, but I do think, I feel, Ryan, you put that across really passionately and I think it's, it's really good to, and important to think about. And as you say, it, it doesn't matter as a fan, you're not going to be wrong or right. You've just got to make your decision and it's your own choice and no one should be judged for that. So it, it is exciting, but there's also, there is also some trepidation and I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm currently, until I've done more research like Kutch, I'm more on the trepidation uh, side. Well, plenty more to be discussed. I'm sure we have only just 
seen the tip of the iceberg in terms of uh, this story and what will happen to our club in the next few days and weeks and months and years. But it feels like a real sliding doors moment in Derby County's history right now. And uh, we'll definitely have more to discuss on it in future podcasts. But we're going to leave it there for this one for uh, Steve Bloom's watching episode 97. But before we do, uh, we couldn't let Ryan get away without quizzing his uh, football ground based knowledge. Ryan, I know you did recently publicly out yourself as an official Derby County fan. Uh, I mean, this to be fair, this quiz has nothing to do with that. But uh, <laughs> but we 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 feel that if you're going to be a part of this podcast, we'd like to just give you a light geographical quiz. How would you back yourself in terms of knowledge of away grounds around England? Uh, not good. <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, we'll see. I'm not sure how else you want me to put that. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't swear, so that's that's the main thing I appreciate. So the, the rules are, um, it's the three of you against each other. Um, I will give you a series of clues. Uh, you have to identify an away ground after each clue. If you think you know the answer, just say your name and have a uh, have a bit of a stab. The first clue in this one is, I am at an away ground that is two hours and 55 minutes by car away from Pride Park Stadium or 170 miles where ram I? Kutch. Uh, Medeski Stadium. Medeski Stadium is incorrect. Uh, Tom, uh, Cardiff City Stadium or whatever it's called. The Cardiff, I think That's it's just called the Cardiff City Stadium, isn't it? Yeah. The Cardiff City Stadium is incorrect. Ryan, can you steal it with your first ever attempt? No. I don't know. I don't drive. <laughs> Oh, oh no! I'll 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 say the Luton place, uh, the the Luton's ground. Uh, uh, oh, oh, I know the name of it. I know the uh, Kenilworth Road. Kenilworth. <laughs> it's going to be a long one, isn't it? Um, the Luton place is incorrect. <laughs> I'm afraid. Uh, clue number two: This ground holds six thousand one hundred and thirty-four spectators and has an away end of sixteen hundred. Tom. Uh, it used to be Layer Road. But I can't, is it the Western Home Stadium? Uh, Colchester United. Colchester United is incorrect. That is tiny. Uh, Kutch. No, it's not. It's much longer than two hours away. And again, I should know because I manage on football manager. But Forest Green Rovers. Forest Green uh, Rovers uh, is incorrect. Ryan, dare I ask? Have you got? <laughs> have you got anything? No. <laughs> That's fine. Don't worry. We'll crack on. <laughs> 6,000 is tiny. Um, Clue number three. This club are currently in the top 10 in League Two. Tom, uh, is it Wadden Road, Cheltenham? Wadden Road, Cheltenham is incorrect. Uh, Catch, Spotlands. Spotlands is incorrect. I've got no idea what division they're in at the moment. Clue number four is Derby County have only played here once. In their entire history. Uh, Tom, is it the Globe Arena Morecambe? The Globe Arena Morecambe is incorrect. Oh, Incredible dude. scenes, Kutch. I thought that was going to be it because I thought maybe that was referenced, wasn't it, in the in the FFP hearing. Um, I've got nothing, to, Chris, currently. I've got absolutely nothing for you. I'm, I'm, I'm with Ryan. Carlisle. Carlisle is a good shout, but it's incorrect, oh, I'm afraid. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> It's a taking part that counts. Uh, clue number five is, this should be the killer, the one game that Derby played here saw them lose an FA Cup third round tie oh, 2-1. Cuts. Crawley Town. Crawley Town is correct. What's the stadium called? 
Um, it's called the People's Pension Stadium. Awful, awful. The PPS. Yeah, yeah. I think I went to that game on my own, and it poured with rain, and it was really. Did you go, Tom? I did go. Yeah, Monday. It was a Monday night on TV. Miles Addison scored, and we conceded. I think it was Sergio Torres in the 90th minute, and it, I, I saw him hit the half volley, and it was going into the corner. I think I'd walked out by the time it hit the back of the net. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was really grim. So, Tom, so Ryan, if you're going to sign up as a full-time Derby fan, this is a sort of uh, you know, this is a sort of bleak stuff you're going to have to put up with. Hey, it ain't too late for me to just completely turn and rescind all of that. Like, I can delete that. I can delete that tweet, no problem. Yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid not. No, well, uh, that is it for this podcast. That's it for um, SBW on this occasion. We're going to try and return after the international break. We'd really appreciate it if you did leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the pod. Give us an old rating there. Uh, Ryan, pleasure to have you with us. Do you think you'll be able to join us in the future when maybe Derby have possibly maybe scored from open play or maybe even, dare I say, won a game of football, football in the league? Yeah, it's been my pleasure to uh, to join, guys. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, yeah, I would love to. Uh, just drop me a line whenever I am needed as an emergency backup. Lovely stuff. <laughs> Kutch, always good to hear from you as ever. Yeah, cheers, Chris. You've uh, you've made my hangover worse, to be honest, if, I, if I'm being honest. You are welcome. And uh, Tom, always good to hear from you as well. Cheers, guys. Speak soon. <laughs>